Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International, right here on Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, Planet Paranormal, Crackle Radio, and far, far beyond. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England zone, Van Helsing. With me, all the way across the pond in the land of the Red Dragon, the Wall Street Journal's gold standard and ghost hunted, Mr. Stephen Parsons. Konnichiwa. Yeah, that too. I believe you've, uh, you've seen yourself dubbed and subtitled, then, yeah? Yes, it was quite a quite a an experience, I would guess to say. Um, <laughs> it, it was interesting because uh, I had, had no clue what was going to become of it. For those who don't know what we're talking about, uh, about oh, I forget a month ago is or a month and a half ago, uh, Japanese television production crew came over to do a little bit on uh, New England's own Van Helsink, and uh, they went on a ghost uh, hunt with us as it was a private investigation actually and uh, it was interesting so it became part of uh, this interesting show <laughs> to say the least <laughs> I see what you I... mean about the Japanese mm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's yes uh, so is it safe to say now that you you are also big in Japan uh, uh, compared to the size of them yeah how much they? bigger than Japanese? Yeah. <laughs> okay, you're being you're being very, you're being very modest tonight. Uh, it it was interesting, it really was, and and uh, it it was the weirdest format I ever saw. It was almost like a game show. It was so ah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The very first one we did with the Japanese, uh, we were equally surprised when the DVD came came winging yeah. away from Japan that it appeared to be a game show mm. uh, with. Like a what happens next format and sort of weird voiceovers and uh, there was a studio audience. I'd, I'd, I'd never seen a format like it. Uh, it's not something that we use in the West. Uh, we, we have uh, satirical. It was like a satirical game show, but the whole basis was a, uh, was a serious investigation. And they actually treated the investigation part, uh, you know, with, with you know, with... Uh, Good intent. It it wasn't done in a comedic way, but they were trying to get laughs out of it, which was very peculiar. I don't know. If I you know, since I didn't know what the hell it said, I have no idea what they were saying. But it was interesting because they would they showed the the little blips. I mean, not the blips. Actually, showed the the investigating part and you know the whole thing basically. But in the corner of each of the the thing where they would put a person's face up there from from the panel. They had a panel on the show, and uh, you know, some of them were like really scared and, and everything. It was really interesting. I, I, I found it uh, really intriguing, actually, I guess is the word. But anyways, we have somebody on the show who is uh, used to uh, television, and uh, he is one of the original cast members of the Ghost Hunters, uh, I believe season one and two. He's 
part of a tw- pair of twins and a demonologist and ghost hunter. Uh, let us introduce Carl Johnson. Well, we won't then. <laughs> <laughs> was that the voice of a demon then that just that, broke? It could have been a voice. Uh, that was Casey. I don't. Know. Uh, Casey, uh, I'm not in, in the stack, so uh, you have to let us know when you do have him, if you will, please. Not a problem. Not a problem. And, okay. Thank his, you. When I called, his wife said that he had stepped out to the library and he'll be back in five minutes. <laughs> well, he just wanted to get the latest copy of Ghost Today, evidently. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'll call him in just a second. You're no problem. Jeez, I gave such a great intro, too. So, <laughs> And now you've got to try to do it twice. Yeah. Is, it's <laughs> very interesting, happen? actually, because we've, um, we've just had over here in the UK, the Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena did a conference uh, a month or so ago called seriously possessed, dealing uh, entirely with the topic of uh, possession, demonology, or actually, is, uh, possession is, is the wrong the wrong t- uh, title now. Um, the, the church at least call it obsession, rather than possession. I actually knew that. Yeah. Well, I went on a case uh, with uh, a Franciscan exorcist, and the case was, that's what it was, it was an obsession, so that was... So anyways, joining us now, and he missed my awesome introduction, but it'll have to do now, he is Mr. Kyle Johnson. Hello there, and here I am. Made it in time. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was so funny, we, I gave you such a great introduction on the show, and... We have and to repeat I said, it now, I want to hear it all. Yeah, and there he is, and he wasn't. <laughs> he did, Carl. It was, it, was, it was one of his better introductions as well, I've got to say. I'll tell you, literally three minutes ago, I was caught, well, five minutes ago now, I was caught in traffic, mm-hmm. which normally I don't care much about, but it's like, today's, come on, come on. You know, yes. I should have done the show for my car, but no, I made it in time. It was just a little delay. So, But Carl... I ran up the stairs. Well, that's good for you. Exercise yeah, is good. Yeah, I think it is. It's healthy. It's my exercise. You know, I, I pay big bucks for that by, for at the club, so. <laughs> and I got it for free. To just be running off the flight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, well you can hi, pay it's me. good to hear from you, Ron. Is this Ron I'm talking to? Uh, Ron and Steve Parsons from the UK is also with us. Okay, good thing. Yeah. Steve, say something. I've, I've, good evening. Good afternoon. Um, I, I lose because we keep switching. In time zones. Uh, now we've caught up. A, uh, now we've dropped back from America, so it's it's well into the evening here now. Yes. Well, here we all are together now. Transcontinental interview. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, Steve was actually, uh, as you were, uh, you were a member of the Ghost Hunter show, and uh, it just indeed, about yes. yes, just about a little bit before that, actually, there was another show in the UK. And Steve yeah. was part of that, which was uh, Most Haunted. I was going to say, Most Haunted. I do remember. In fact, Ghostbusters yeah, was inspired I, I keep by apologizing Most for that. Haunted. It was inspired I by Ghostbusters. Offer my apologies. Steve, have you got a delay or on your end? A slight, a slight delay, yeah. Okay, because you seem to be cutting in to us. Anyways, uh Kyle, you are also uh, the paranormal expert for the Slater Mills as well, no? Yes, indeed, where I am currently employed. Slater Mill is the site of the American 
Industrial Revolution period of history, where the beginning of our factories, really, and it's credited with starting right at Slater Mill in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. That's where I am employed as an interpreter, tour guide, and programs development. And I also head up the paranormal research at Slater Mill because uh, I didn't know when I applied to work at a historic site, it's also a haunted setting. The way awesome. I see it, you can't have the history, you can't have the haunting without the history. So they go, they go together. Not every old structure is haunted, of course, but this one is subject to paranormal activity. Not every day, but frequently enough. I don't think I've experienced more than a month where something inexplicable has happened, hasn't happened. So why don't you give us a little bit of the background of Slater Mill and, and, and why you think it's haunted? Well, Slater Mill, the actual main building, was constructed in 1793, and that became the first successful cotton-spitting mill in America. And it was the beginning of our uh, textile industry, which gave America a firm financial backing. And uh, so it's, it's been there for all these years. It's been there for 22 decades. And it's uh, next to the Blackstone River, which is an impressive river running in back of Pawtucket. And uh, Pawtucket itself means falling water, an Algonquin Native American. And, uh, well, I had been working, I started working there nine years ago in March 2006. And my first year of employment there at Slater Mill, I had so many folks come up to me after a guided tour. They would say, excuse me, this is going to sound crazy, but is your mill haunted? <laughs> because we had so many visitors that pushed or touched by unseen hands. And uh, once a lady had her hair lifted up. During it, well, that's happened since, but uh, mm -hmm. initially that first year there. And people have heard disembodied voices at Slater Mill, which have actually interrupted the daytime tours. So really? I thought, well, yeah, why not make a program out of this? Since there's paranormal activity here, why don't we do something with it? And, uh, you know, since people are asking me continually, is your mill haunted? Mm -hmm. uh, so I devised the uh, ghost hunts, the ghost tours the evening tours at night and then we go through guests can go through all three buildings on the grounds with the lights kept off the only illumination is provided by park and moonlight streaming in through the windows mm -hmm. and i thought it would just be relating some of the lesser known history of slater mill site and the blackstone river but it turned out we started getting paranormal occurrences during the ghost tours so i said hey well we'll turn this into an actual ghost hunt uh, so every time we have a ghost tour, it's a paranormal investigation. Uh, the most recent one we had was just this past Saturday, Saturday evening. And, uh, well, we had some interesting things happen, such as we were in the Sylvanus Brown House. That's on the grounds of Slater Mill site, and that was built in 1758. And uh, I and my brother, who was there, and our guest heard a disembodied voice. It was a man's voice saying, hello. And it was nobody that we saw in the room that could have said that. Uh, a young lady was shoved on her hip. She was pushed, and she had her hair lifted up. Something was playing with her hair. Another lady on the tour uh, had her hand held by icy little fingers as if of a child. And these mills were notorious for employing children, child, or renowned for having child labor. Oh, wow. uh, so children were the primary workforce in the late 17 and early 1800s in these textile mills. So, um, yeah, I think there are some little children that remain, but it was an adult male voice we heard that said hello. So, I mean, we can't guarantee 
paranormal phenomena is going to occur, occur on these evening tours. Mm -hmm. I will always start off with an introduction and telling our guest, um, we're not here to prove that Slater Mill is haunted. Supposedly, taps on ghost hunters did that, uh, but we are going to experience a paranormal investigation. But we always get something. Something strange always happens, something ghostly. Oh, so cool. I've been a Slater Mill for nine years and had some, collectively, I've had some very unusual and interesting experiences there. So is, you originally were a demonologist when you were with the ghost hunters. Yes, and, and still am. Still are. In, in fact, yeah. you've got a new area that you're going into, a uh, new project, I understand, as well, into uh, ghost hunting as well. Correct. Um, I mean, in demonology, excuse me. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, uh, its kickoff is with a new website. Um, it's called Demonology Incorporated. And it specializes in the darker side of paranormal investigation. And I, I didn't initially label myself as a demonologist. It's just that those situations, those cases tended to come to me. They were brought to my attention. Mm -hmm. Some of the darker, more malevolent-seeming types of hauntings. So eventually, I suppose, I became some of a, a specialist in that. I'm an expert in the unknown, you might say. Do you have and, training uh, at all in demonology? Yes. Well, and I, I had that term applied to me. I was being referred to as a demonologist, and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll accept that. So by the time I joined the Atlantic Paranormal Society, I was already specializing as a demonologist. By the way, that website is uh, I'm, uh, putting that together with the invaluable assistance of uh, Lana Brock Hunt and uh, it is her birthday today, so I just wanted to uh, shout out a happy birthday to Lana. There you go. Lana was yeah. Lana was featured in an episode of the Sci-Fi Channel TV series uh, Paranormal Witness, oh, yeah. uh, an episode uh, titled uh, uh, "Deliver Us from Evil," and it showcased mm -hmm. Lana and her twin sister Lisa growing up in a very haunted house on North Armstrong Street in Kokomo, Indiana. The house no longer exists. That was burned down by a serial arsonist. So all the time they were growing up there, as you know, girls and teenagers, there were strange things happening there. So if anybody gets a chance to look at that episode of Paranormal Witness, Deliver Us From Evil, it's, it's worth viewing. So a happy birthday to Lana and Lisa today. Wow. There you go. And, yeah. So any, and, anyways, so Kyle, yep, uh, they're both 21, you said? Yes, 21. Yes. <laughs> So it, um, uh, she's yeah. Who me or her? Uh, her. <laughs> she's rolled it over again. Yeah. No, she's younger than me, but most people. She's my girlfriend actually. At least uh, Lana is. Now let me not mix them up too much. So that means my girlfriend has an identical twin sister, and I have an identical twin brother. So I don't know something in the water over here. That's strange. I'm yeah. just thinking of that. That has so many possibilities. I don't even want to go there. <laughs> yeah, they they occur to me, but I I quickly dismiss them. <laughs> I get those thoughts out of my mind right away. So so Kyle, let me ask you this, and and I, I actually I I hope that uh, Steve would ask this. Is is demonology seems to be a new thing in the UK? Am I right there, uh, Stephen? Well, uh, the reason I did break in is because of the delay that we were having earlier so i didn't want to talk over but uh, yeah it is a question that's intrigued me because i've i've just finished writing extensively about the history of uh, psychical research and demons were part of the that were always associated with ghosts 
up until the 18th century when, when science moved the, the examination forward. And we don't have here in the UK and uh, necessarily within Europe this association uh, um, of demons. We, we don't have these sort of cases over here. You know, we, we have uh, many, many investigation groups in many locations that, are, that have their, their hauntings and their reputations. Uh, there has been an increase, inevitably, uh, picked up probably through the media of, of cases that are associated with, with evil, representations of evil or um, embodiments of murders and, and, and similar evil deeds. But demonology, uh, the, the, the links with uh, demons, uh, possessing demons, obsessing demons, attacking demons, seems to be still very much an, an American phenomenon. Why, why do you think that is, Carl? Well, uh, England and the British Isles are renowned for hauntings. Uh, I'm sure some of them are not very pleasant, but there seems to be a concentration on the interest, at least in in demonology in the U.S., and it might be because of popular media. Um, it might be because of the television shows, and people are more intrigued by the dark side than you know, demonic manifestations rather than angelic visitations. And I think that's more prevalent over here uh, because of media exposure to you know the uh, the American television and you know movies that are shown in America tend to concentrate more on the the evil aspect of of paranormal investigation or let's say malevolent evil is kind of an archaic term but uh, mm -hmm. as is demon we just don't have modern terminology to apply to these phenomena oh the one that's in the white house yeah it, well that's inevitable yes <laughs> we we don't say evil we say misguided mm -hmm. as far as politics go uh -huh. but uh yeah it's, well, I think uh, there evil. does seem to be preponderance of, uh, of uh, interest in demonic influence i think a lot of people experience that in their own lives at least people that uh, get in touch with me they feel there's an evil spirit pursuing them or a malevolent presence it's uh, hounding them and harassing them you, you know it's interesting yeah, it's Cal, difficult to tell whether it's human or non-human, like a uh, human-generated spirit or a demonic presence, which we thought, think is non-human and never was on Earth as a living human person. Mm -hmm. But, you how know, I, make, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Steve. I was Go just going to ask, Carl, how do we make that distinction between a force that's that's um, if was formerly or a discarnate uh, spirit or one that is... is uh, as has often been described, elemental, non-human, never has lived yeah. before. Uh, in terms of the way that they manifest, is there a difference? There is a difference, but I don't think exclusively. Often it's impossible to tell the difference. There are persons who seem to have a gift of discernment. They can sense when it's an inhuman presence. That could be an elemental or a demon or a poltergeist. Um, although poltergeist might be human-generated. Other times it could be a particularly... Uh, disenchanted or malevolent human-generated spirit, someone that was alive at some time and their personality remains. Um, demons tend to have, well, there's something that's it's tough to put into words, but if anybody's at all sensitive to these influences, they can feel it when they go into a house or walk into a room that's, that has a demonic presence. It's uh, very debased and... Uh, you sense that it's not responding like a human being, but they do have an intelligence about them. 
My own theory, and I differ from other people who specialize in demonology in this, my theory is that it, it does originate with the human psyche, that these things do proceed from the human mind, and they've become essentially non-human. The traditional lore about demons is that they were created separately and they were not once living human beings. Now, I think it's all tied in together. It's kind of like the analogy of the, uh, the tree in the forest. If a tree falls in the woods, does it make a sound if nobody's around to hear it? Does it still make a sound? Well, of course, the answer is yes and no. Um, likening that to if, uh, if there were no human beings in the world on planet Earth, would there still be demons on the world? I really don't think so. I think they're interdependent. But most, most people who specialize in this interest will say that uh, demons were, you know, have been around before the human race, and they were never human as we are. That can be said about uh, hauntings as well. Is a house haunted if there are no humans there to experience it? <laughs> yeah, the ghost must be very lonely there. Right. And again, the, but, the answer is probably yes and no, but I think a house can be haunted even if there are not people there. I think spirit presences, the remnants of the human mind and spirit, I think they do get attached to a place. I don't think this, the, the ghosts are totally dependent on uh, human beings occupying a space because often they go about as residual haunts and they're not even aware of us. They just seem playbacks out of time. Or uh, a human observer just happens to notice them, a living person just witnesses them. I think they were already there. And demons may be a tad different, but um, I tend to doubt that there were demonic presences preceding the human race. You know, I don't think they were all around just waiting for the God's great creation of the human race to uh, come upon Earth. <laughs> I don't know, of course. We're dealing with the unknown. We all have Well, maybe that's why we lost the dinosaurs. You know, the demons drove them out. Yeah, those poor dinosaurs. They had to pick on them because they couldn't think their way out of it. Yeah, that was it. So that's why they Yeah, died. were there dinosaur demons? I don't know. Yeah, but <laughs> so anyways, it's hard to, to wait, picture that. Sorry, bro. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. What you were saying? Steve? I was just going to say, we have a, uh, an interesting theory here in the UK by a well-known investigator who once stated oh. that the reason that the dinosaurs became extinct is that Noah had built a second ark, uh, an ark that contained the dinosaurs, but that unfortunately sank. And he had that communicated to him by God uh, during a seance during a investigation. I think I've met him. A little bit of sidetracking, but... I think I've met him before. A little bit of sidetracking, but... Yeah, can you imagine theory an idea. disappointment with that? Like, oh, shoot. Oh, no. How am I going to explain <laughs> the dinosaurs? Well, maybe there's not enough room for them and, and human <laughs> beings. Makes um, little interesting, there's a cave drawing, a, a petroglyph. I don't know where it is. I think it's, well, it's someplace in Europe. I don't know if it's in France or Germany, where it actually, it, oh, actually, when I correct myself, this is in the western United States. There is a petroglyph that actually shows the illustration of what quite clearly represents a dinosaur, and it has uh, the figure of a person near it. Now, who would know enough about a dinosaur? I don't think that, you know, persons thousands of years ago, perhaps four or 5,000 years ago, could have known enough about dinosaur anatomy just from scattered bones to be able to reconstruct a dinosaur. But somebody's got a painting of a dinosaur, mm -hmm. an inscription of a dinosaur on, on a cave wall. So 
every once in a while you get one of these real anomalies in the, in the historic record, you know, in mm-hmm. the timeline that we think we know. It's like, no, there were no dinosaurs coexisting with people, but there's a picture of one. Interesting. So maybe some of the dinosaurs got on the ark, or maybe some of them were, you know, lived a while longer. <laughs> Now, you know, there's a I famous. There's actually also some they're the embarrassments those dinosaurs that stowed away. <laughs> there's there's a famous case that uh, you worked on. Actually, I believe it was uh, Lorraine Warren and uh, her husband. Yeah, I think I know which one you're alluding to. This was probably it, the the Perrin case, the Perrin family exactly. out in Harrisville, Rhode Island, that 40 years later became the subject of a major motion picture called The Conjuring. Yeah, and it is not precisely as it's depicted in the movie, uh, in the movie version, although I enjoyed the movie, I really did, but The Conjuring. But in that movie, it shows uh, the famed um, paranormal investigators, Ed and Lorraine Warren, coming in and solving the, the haunting, uh, quelling the, uh, the activity in their house. And uh, what had happened was, 41 years ago, my brother Keith, my twin brother Keith and I, were members of a paranormal investigating group based at Rhode Island College in Providence, Rhode Island. And it was called PIRO, Parapsychology Investigation and Research Organization. And this was before Internet usage. And uh, my brother placed an ad in a local paper to let people know about our group that we... uh, we were willing to come in and investigate a home, a residence. So three weeks to the day after my brother placed that ad in a local paper, a Miss Carolyn Perrin responded to the ad, and she told us about the... She called and uh, explained that her house was subject to paranormal activity. So my brother Keith and I went there uh, with our team, and uh, we spent two months investigating that house from August through the end of September uh, 1973. Then my brother decided that it would be a good idea if we called in Ed and Lorraine Warren, the ghost hunting couple, because mm-hmm. we were acquainted with them. And they said, oh, let's get Ed and Lorraine involved. Let's, uh, let's draw on their experience. So, of course, Ed and Lorraine were eager to participate. And uh, I remember a phone conversation I had with the late Ed Warren, uh, September 1973. I asked him if he would like to see our case files. He said, absolutely. And I said, I understand, since we've called you in, that we're going to be working on this case with you. And he said, oh, indeed we will. Well, the Warrens totally took over. And uh, <laughs> I think they were movie-minded even then, really. And <laughs> it's not – oh, some of the things are, are spot on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Some of them are like what happened. But uh, um, it wasn't resolved in the way you see depicted in the movie. And I'll tell you, uh, radio Skype shows will we'll discuss this you know, as we are now. Mm-hmm. On the radio, we can talk about this, but a TV show, a TV program will never air this. They will never talk about that, you know, there was a group from Rhode Island College that originally came to the parents' house and invited in the Warrens. Because now we're going we're gonna to ask you to uh, hold on for a second because we have oh, to sure take a break, break right now. Uh, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, International right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Planet Paranormal. Uh, Crackle Radio, wherever else fine things are sold, I guess. Anyways, we'll be right back after following messages with Kyle Johnson.
Monday mornings just got scarier. Tune in every Monday at 11 a.m. for another episode of Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition with New England's own Van Helsing, Ron Kolick, and his inquisitive travel companion, Lou Blassie, the professor. Hey, that's me. Each week we'll delve into the realm of the supernatural where all that is is not what it appears to be. With remarkable guests, spirited conversation, and the occasional voice of the deceased, we'll bring you a whole new meaning to the term dead air. Ghost Chronicles, Mondays at 11 on Eagle Radio 1110. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous. As we give the awards to the Parrax family. Greetings and felicitations. I am Ron Kolop, New England's own Van Helsing. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the Blonde Bond Show. And we're here at the elegant Benford Hall, the Downton Abbey of Manus. And we would like to extend a formal invitation to you. To tune in every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Ghost Chronicles and Next Generation. On Tokinet, Parax, Ghost Channel, and Planet Paranormal. You can even listen live on your smartphone with your tune-in app. I'll catch the podcast on iTunes. And now, time for tea. Ah, uh, tea, that most famous of drinks. It started a revolution. But that was only because when they threw it into the harbour, they forgot the milk and the sugar. Anyway, you're listening to part two of Ghost Chronicles International, uh, hosted from here in westest, wettest Wales by me, Steve Parsons, and over on the continental mainland in snow New England, Van Helsing. Ron Kolek, and our guest tonight is demonologist Carl Johnson. And before the break, uh, I was struggling with a wee Skype echo, and Ron was asking a question, and we'll just go straight back to that. Ron, what was the question? Damn if I know. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I did... <laughs> Anyways, I did... Explain I did... Echoes. You know, that was... We were doing so well that till then. <laughs> yeah. I did make a mistake, and it is now, I've been informed, it is Crackle Radio, not Radio Crackle. 
Uh, no, it's Radio Crackle. Oh, Radio Crackle. keep saying Crackle Radio. Oh, yeah. Okay, there you go. So, you know. Yeah. Crackling Radio. Okay, anyways, I, I just sitting here in the X-Files. X- whoa, whoa, whoa. I can hear the X-Files thing. You're, you're absolutely right. I'm just sitting here and the X-Files theme just came on from somewhere. I have no clue. <laughs> anyway, back to Carl. So, Carl, we were talking uh, before the break uh, about the Perron case, and originally you worked on it for several months, and then eventually the Warrens took it over, and the story you said was, was similar, uh, but not all of it was factual. But th- that's, that's kind of true with, with most Hollywood stuff, though, isn't it? I think so, of course. They have to have some dramatic license. That is expected. Think, However, Mrs. Warren is quoted as saying, that movie is just as real as any, to truth, just as real to, to real life, just as true to real life as any movie could be. However, my, my brother has an actual recording of Mrs. Warren at one of her lectures when we were present, and she's thanking us for coming in and uh, bringing them into that case and for the work <laughs> we did there. So, you know, we do have that on tape when Mrs. Warren acknowledges uh, my brother and I being there. And Donna, who was the case manager of Pyro at the time, but no television show will air that. You know what we're saying now will air that other side of the case. And why, why is that? Because it violates the movie storyline. To say that a college group came in and brought in the Warrens and that we were integral to the investigation uh, that violates the storyline. And uh, I like to say that. Truth is stranger, but not as acceptable, not so acceptable as fantasy, as fiction. You know the saying, truth is stranger than fiction. Right, I like right. to say, yeah, truth is stranger, but not so acceptable as fiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, the television will not, they may approach us for an interview, but the interview never gets aired. Go ahead, Steve. I was just saying... We have the same problem with here in the UK with the Warrens and some of their claims. Uh, the claims yeah. uh, relate to the Enfield uh, haunting as well, which they uh, subsequently claim to have had a pivotal role in, um, which nothing could really be further from the tr- truth. Uh, we're fortunate over here, and I don't think many people fell for that line. Uh, but, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I understand what you mean about the Warrens. Uh, and some of the claims that they make being <laughs> subject to... Well, they informed the Perrin family that they could only assist them, could only be of any help to the family, if they were the only investigators on the scene. In other words, uh, the parents could no longer deal with our group Pyro. Hmm. But as I said, I believe they were movie-minded even at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, as I said, I did enjoy the movie. It actually made me nostalgic in places. You know, bringing back those times of so long ago. Mm. Yeah, time marches on, unfortunately. <laughs> it does, except, rather go- except for the ghosts, though, right? The ghosts stay static. They stick around. They do their own thing. They don't change much with the years. So tell us a little bit about this new uh, project you're working on. You mentioned the new website that you've got coming up. Yes, it's trying to bring... Uh, paranormal investigation out of the Middle Ages and into the 21st century. Now, there have been, of course, advances, but the paranormal investigation is approached more scientifically, and it is a science, ideally. 
if it's approached properly analytically. Um, but people have some stodgy notions about what is paranormal. Um, it has it, the actual view of demons and uh, and malevolent spirits that hasn't changed much in the last four to five hundred years. And uh, I want to tie in human psychology with parapsychology. I think much of this phenomena actually proceeds from the human mind, is caused by human beings. You know, now we have only limited terminology and nomenclature with which to work. We have terms like demons and ghosts and spirits and succubus and incubus. And while it is important to know about these things, I believe they have little validity uh, when applied to human psychology. It's time to really capture this. We're, we're dealing with the some of the most profound mysteries of human existence, like what happens uh, after we die. Do we exist? Where do we go from there? And aside from belief and faith, there's not a heck of a lot that's known. The existence of ghosts has never been definitively proven, scientifically proven. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a lot of intriguing, suggestive evidence. And I just want to realize, have people realize that there has to be, since we are dealing with such profound mysteries, then there, there has to be something more than to this exploration than just someone saying, what was that? You know, holding a flashlight. What was that? Then break for commercial. <laughs> then break for commercial. That? You know, <laughs> the, the popular television shows haven't made a lot of advancement, except they've, they've gotten people more interested in paranormal research. But I think it has to be approached scientifically. And even though I am called a demonologist, and I don't mind being called a demonologist, uh, I want to look at these things and say, what exactly are we investigating? You know, are these always human spirits? Are sometimes they inhuman? You know, there's no real formula for getting rid of a spirit. I mean, I'm often called into to homes to try and solve people's problems and rid them of the spirit. But you can't really order a spirit to go away or a demon there are rituals and uh, prayers that are offered to to lessen a demonic influence but you can't really order an invisible presence to get out of a house and expect it to respond sometimes the spirit can be annoyed to the point where they don't come back for a while but i there's no real formula for for cleansing the house of a spirit. Well, I we mean, try to I, think the, I think the Catholic Church would disagree with you on that. They would dis- the disagree with me fervently, yes, on that score. Yeah. The reason well, I know this is because we, I've had friends of the clergy, right. actually, you know, two uh, ordained Catholic priests with whom I was acquainted, and mm-hmm. I've gone in on investigations and house cleanings and expulsions with mm-hmm. them. Uh, what generally happens, I, I would say it happens as a rule, is the paranormal activity is suppressed after we do a house cleansing, a blessing of the house, and the atmosphere in the house seems lighter, the rooms themselves seem brighter, but then it comes back. Mm -hmm. Two weeks, three weeks, a month later, it's coming back. It seems that this activity can be suppressed but not banished. After a while, it will generally fade on its own. The thing is, Kyle, is that, you know, unfortunately, that's... 
a lot of what we the perception we give is that you know we think we can go in there and spill some holy water around or, or, or dump some sage around or, or clap in the corners or something and then all of a sudden everything's you know rainbows and lollipops but <laughs> in, in in the real cases it, it you know it took months and, and sometimes even years in some of the more persistent cases to uh, rid uh, the uh, the houses of whatever was going sure, on. Sure, it can be suppressed after a while, but as you illustrate, it's a long and drawn out process. Exactly. Sometimes it takes as long to quell an undesired haunting as it uh, as it took for the haunting to actually start. You know, it can take years, and sometimes you just exhaust the spirit until they don't want to come back anymore. <laughs> I do carry holy water in my briefcase. I have used sage because it's it's a sympathetic approach. Uh, if people believe it's going to work and the spirits believe it's going to work, generally it does. Mm-hmm. But it it's not a surefire cure either. Exactly. And, and I, I like that you say this, Ron, because you're known as uh, the Van Helsing of New England. <laughs> you know, so uh, if you if you have a realistic light on this, there's, there's hope for all of us. You know? <laughs> I appreciate but people that. have been exposed to the movies and the television shows, so they expect dramatic results. They expect that the, the vans are going to pull up and somebody, the priest is going to come out of the van and the paranormal investigative team are going to set up their equipment. They're going to dispel the spirit. Well, yeah, if it works, then that's good. It can be a good I mean, experience. That, that was always my biggest concern. I mean, I remember doing a case in uh, New Hampshire and we went in and we didn't really, I mean, we got a little bit of stuff, you know, but uh, right. after we left, there was somebody, they brought in uh, this woman and she said, oh, the place was a portal. There were 400 revolutionary soldiers and this, uh, you know, pedophile. And I've just made that up. But, you know, the, these evil person and that. And I was able to send them all to the light. So, you know, it, it, you know, that always irked me. It's like, OK, these guys say they were there 400 of them which you know they, you think it would give off a little bit more evidence than what we got but uh you know and all of a sudden after 200 years they say oh there's a light oh damn we never noticed that before yeah, it's good, you know yeah that always well, we turn to the me. side there's the light oh thank you living investigators for pointing that out you know our psychics for for letting us know we just didn't see it we needed the living to guide us well you see this gives us a working premise and hypothesis that we're trying to make sense of an unknown situation, and it, we're working along the lines of a contrived ignorance, you might say. We don't know why or how we're going to get rid of the spirit, or why it's there, I should say, and how we're going to deal with it, but we do what we can. If burning sage and uh, sprinkling holy water and talking, reasoning with the spirit helps, okay, we don't know exactly why it would help, but it might. But it, it's just hard to believe that after, like you say, something has been around for two or more centuries, and it's repeating its tragedy over and over again in, it, in its own reality, then, you know, this, the psychics and the investigating team must be quite accomplished if they can go in and suddenly enlighten the spirit. Yeah. But then again, maybe nobody's tried to before. There you if go. you can establish a communication with a non-corporeal being, you know, the spirit, then you're really achieving something. But yeah. we don't understand, fully understand the mechanics of it. We can't, you know, but uh, it's we, just we as even, likely that it'll come we, back at some point. Yeah, we can't return. even understand the, the, the mechanics of spirits, you know. You know, yes. why do some of them seem to be, you know, only in one location, but others can go and come and, you know, 
drop in wherever they want. Uh, yeah, they can yet, bi-locate. They can be different places and yeah. suddenly teleport and be in another location or two locations at the same time. Yeah, I wish they'd answer a question. Spirits aren't very good at answering our questions. You don't get too many coherent EVP recordings. Well, you know, but you, they we actually have plenty of mediums, questions. We have plenty of mediums to tell us. Yeah, they interpret. Well, that, that we go again. These are witch doctors. We're going back. We haven't made that much progress. We bring in a psychic that's, you know, a conduit that's going to speak to the spirits. Well, we don't know how much is transpiring in their own minds and how much they're really receiving. And they may be totally sincere. Right. Uh, but once the psychic has successes and starts getting some, some things right, then they're going to be led into believing that uh, every impression they get comes from the spirit world and it may or may not you know it may be just that they're perceiving a situation or have or perhaps they've been reading in. someone's mind yeah well some people are uncommonly perceptive but i don't think there's they're actually mind readers i have I uh, had some remarkable experience with psychically gifted people i don't want to declaim or debunk it all but no i mean i, I it's very I, subjective I, 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 Kyle, I kind of, you know, believe in in my reading in a way. There's there's some, I mean, being married 43 years, I can tell you, <laughs> my wife can read my mind at times without a doubt, and my I have That's no useful, no doubt Joe. at all. I would think, yeah, but you get so used to somebody. Actually, it does spill over into a psychic realm. You get to know somebody so well that you actually, it's not just physical cues. You actually can receive some of their thoughts. You know. Um, there are people who are gifted this way, and it's a gift you can learn, but it's not a fail-safe. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps I'm a little disenchanted or disenfranchised with uh, the psychic approach because I've had too many experiences where I've gone into the house and the gifted medium or psychic will tell all about the problems and how many spirits there are in the house and uh, what they want and how many are male and female and there's a child and there's a mother and this person was murdered and yet they don't have the slightest bit of uh, empirical evidence to corroborate that to back it up and and that gets but, you really can't could, do a lot with, when you've got somebody dominating the scene like that as sincere as they may be have a complete lack of empirical evidence for the existence of ghosts and yeah. demons though don't we you know, we're in this same dilemma that we're trying to say something positive um, about or interpretive about something we know absolutely nothing about. You know, there are, there are countless groups who offer their evidence weekly via the social media or the TV shows, or, mm -hmm. uh, and they interpret the results of their scientific instruments, their, their readings, uh, in in view of the, the you know the theories and ideas that they that they subscribe to but that you know they they can't measure something that we just don't understand there is no empirical evidence for the existence of ghosts I mean, there is no doubt that people see ghosts absolutely no doubt right. at all. they have there been observed no i've doubt seen ghosts people... and i've seen them objectively not just in my mind's eye uh well do you want to clarify seeing something objectively because He's seen him with his own That's, eyes. I have from time to time. I've actually seen a ghost as clearly as I've seen a person, and then they vanish. I agree. The ghosts are, by the way, I've never seen a naked ghost. They're always wearing clothes. So I guess they project how they expect to look. Uh, I don't know how it works, but you think if you're seeing a pure spirit form, it might be glowing and it would be naked. But no, they're, they're always wearing clothes. They look like they did when no, they were I mean, alive. The, the, there isn't. 
doubt that people will see ghosts. Um, there is no doubt that people believe themselves to be possessed, obsessed by, by demons. Right. However, as you, as you so rightly pointed out, we have not one shred of empirical evidence to support any of those hypotheses. Exactly. Your account, you say, hey, I, you've seen a ghost, I, I also have seen a ghost, but they are just our own individual subjective experiences, our interpretations, our perceptions of, of an experience that we had, and those experiences can be very profound experiences. That, that, that surely is what we're studying. We're there to study an experience and to try and understand a very interesting facet of humanity, a facet that's been reported for as long as man has existed, man has seen ghosts. I don't think it's... I think we make a bit of a leap. Uh, paranormal investigators, demonologists, parapsychologists make this leap uh, to try and pigeonhole, to try and explain, to try and categorise something that we, that we just don't have the information for. Right. We can only go so far with it. A lot of it is speculation. It's all fascinating because the paranormal opens itself up to... Uh, effusive speculation. We can guess, we can theorize, we don't know a lot about it, about what mm -hmm. manifests these, this phenomena. But it's, it's fun to think about. It's fun to try and extrapolate a, a theory as to why is there a ghost in this house? Why, why is this house haunted? And I know there isn't. Is it the people who reside there? Is it because there was a tragedy in the house? But there have been occasions where I've, and you mentioned you've seen a ghost, Steve. There have been a few times in my life where I've turned around and looked up, and there is a spirit form right in front of me. Sometimes they've been aware of me. I mean, it may have happened altogether six times in my life, but I go where the hauntings are, so it's more likely that I would see them than, you know, another person might. Sometimes they're aware of me. Sometimes they're just going about their business. What is very valuable to the paranormal research is the capturing of EVP, electronic voice phenomenon. That's where, you know, uh, alleged spirit voices are actually captured on an audio recording. And they're also sometimes heard as an ABP, audible voice phenomena. Huh. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So as a demonologist, I think what I'm supposed to be, as most people would consider a demonologist if they think about it at all, I'm supposed to be a shaman. I'm supposed to be a witch doctor, and I'm supposed to be a, a person of great faith. You know, what I don't, what I'm not supposed to be is a scientist, but uh, that's what I want to change. I want to be the demonologist who relies more on evidence and doesn't necessarily think that every demon punches a time clock in hell. There's a psychic <laughs> aspect, to this, a psychological aspect, I should say. You know, they're inextricably connected to the human mind, these demonic presences. I don't know if they could even exist apart from the human race. I mean, we can't know that. Mm -hmm. But there does seem to be a malevolent force that's stronger than most spirits that are observed and can propel objects around and seems to have an agenda to uh, disrupt a family unit or torment an individual. So, you know, but you, I've never Kyle, encountered a demonic situation that didn't tie in with the psychological somehow. So let me ask you this, Kyle: is is if we believe that that spirits are sentient beings and and that they 
you know, they can lie, for instance. And why can't they be what they want us to be? For instance, you know, when when the ghost hunters first came out and you guys first decided to come out, not every case yeah. you did was, was you would declare haunted. A lot of them, uh, you would say, no, this isn't haunted. And and then as the, the show went on for a while, you know, most of the cases became haunted. And then even that, they had a ramp it up more then they became evilly haunted so it, it, couldn't the spirit jump on this same craze that's going on tv and say okay if that's what you want then that's what i will be i will be a demon i will be whatever you want if if they're trying to get attention from this realm to their realm yeah i can't know how aware some of these spirits are but they might be aware that they're getting media attention or at least that everybody in the room is talking about them they'll see the spirits will see that cameras are being set up and people are investigating and i think they can sometimes have fun with that like sure i'll be what you want you know you want something moved i'll move something i'll bang on the wall or or i'll really frustrate you and i won't do anything i think they're i think they can morph especially the more insidious <laughs> type like what we call the demons that have an agenda that can think ahead um you might be seeing the spirit of a little girl and it might be a demonic form but if it is not a human spirit if it is demonic it will always reveal itself eventually it won't stay looking like a sweet little girl i use that example because there is the spirit of a little girl in this uh colonial home uh sylvanus brownhouse that's uh located on the grounds of slater mill the mm-hmm. The most prevalent spirit there is that of a little girl. People see her looking out the windows. They've seen her inside. I've heard her voice there. Um, I think it is genuinely the spirit of a deceased human being because it hasn't turned evil. It hasn't shown its darker side. If it is a demon masquerading as a a deceased relative, let's say, or a, a harmless child, eventually it's going to start looking different as enough people observe it because it can't keep generating that facade if it's a demon eventually something's going to change when it when it appears its eyes are going to be missing or it's going to have an evil smile it's going to reveal itself as something unwholesome you know it won't be going on for years and years uh, portraying itself as a as a human ghost it always is found out after a while well that's what happened with uh, Lana as a matter of fact um, with her house down in Kokomo Indiana uh, Lana one time, they had a haunting in there. They didn't know it was harmful at first, but, uh, and the house had a horrific history. A little girl was murdered by, uh, well, a woman was murdered there, but a, a little girl got caught in a refrigerator and died in the refrigerator. And there were, another woman was murdered there, uh, an adult. But, uh, Lana, she was, uh, I guess she was about, 15 or 16 years old, 16, I think. She was opening up the blinds on her bedroom at night. She thought she heard something outside, and there was a demonic form out there looking at her with green and red eyes, and and she's very detailed in her description. Now, I think that's a demon showing itself as what it really looks like. Um, And then it came into the room, and other family members saw it as a black, smoky thing. Um... But, yeah, they can masquerade as, some of them masquerade as human forms. Anyway, that was the uh, doorbell. I heard it. Yeah, Yeah, so, uh, you know, Pizza from the Dead is here, so we've got to wrap it up. We want to thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, today, Kyle. Anything you'd like to add? You got anything going on? And and if people wanted to go to Slater Mill and some of these ghost tours, where could they get information for that? 
Okay, well, there's the Slater Mill, S-L-A-T-E-R, Slater Mill, who originally came from uh, the township of Belper in England and migrated to America. Slater Mill, uh, the website for Slater Mill with the schedule for the ghost tours is uh, www.slatermill.org. Uh, the website that Lana and I are building is uh, Demonology Incorporated. That's all contiguous. www.demonologyincorporated, spell it all out, dot com. And uh, that's a growing website, and I'm posting some of my own thoughts and theories on that now, which are departures from standard demonology, if there is a standardization of that. Mm-hmm. My brother Keith is a religious demonologist. Demonologist. I'm more of a secular demonologist. Okay. But we manage to work together, even though our theories about causes can differ. Uh, so that, and uh, I'll have a conference coming up. I'm actually going to be at a Bigfoot conference in Ohio <laughs> on okay. April. Yeah, I do a lot of these things. <laughs> it's divergent. April 18th, that's going to be in Cambridge, Ohio, at the Salt Fork State Lodge and Conference Center, and that is the... Uh, 24th annual Bigfoot conference that's, you know, on the Internet. Mm-hmm. I'll be there for a few days. It's going on April 18th and April, Saturday, April 18th, and Sunday, April 19th. And I'm going to be talking about Bigfoot there because while I you haven't know. seen Bigfoot, uh, I know De- uh, Dina Palazzini has, and she's written two mm-hmm. books about it, and uh, she's got well, some the interesting calling of it. There's the tunes, Kyle, so we got to say goodbye to you. Okay, the pizza's here, I know. Yeah, I know. So thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, the best of luck. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, get down to Slate of Mill sometime and check that place out. Sounds thank really you interesting. That would be great. You're always welcome as my guest. Oh, thank you, Kyle. You have we a good a night. need a there. <laughs> Take care. Okay, thanks for calling. Bye-bye now. Well, I guess we got to say goodbye. Uh, Steve, you want to say anything before we go? I don't think we've got time, have we? You better say quick. Okay, in that case, uh, till next time from Ghost Chronicles International, good night and God bless. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night, deliver us Good Lord. Are you looking for